The sermon text for today is Genesis 39. We will also be reading from the New Testament, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went out into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled to, and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Let's read now from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Here we have the words of Christ. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You were the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." So far the reading of God's holy word. Our prayer is that the Lord would bless the preaching of it this morning. As you can see, brothers and sisters, we have returned again to the beloved story of Joseph. Chapter 38 of Genesis felt like an unpleasant interruption, didn't it? We say unpleasant because the story that is told there is truly scandalous. I guess we might say that the story is pleasant in another sense. It does magnify the grace and glory of our God. But it is an unpleasant story in the sense that there is scandal there. I say that it felt like an interruption because the story of Judah, his sons, and Tamar felt out of place given that the story of Joseph began in Genesis chapter 37. But as I said in the previous sermon, chapter 38 plays a critical role in the Genesis narrative. It It interrupted Joseph's story, but for a reason. The moral decline of the sons of Israel is documented there. We learned in in chapter 38 that they uh, were no better than the Canaanite peoples who surrounded them. And I think this will help us to appreciate all the more the grace of God shown to them in their election and in their redemption. In particular, we uh, learned of the wickedness of Judah. It is documented there, and this will help us to appreciate the transformation that we will see in him later in the Genesis story. But now we return to Joseph, and we are to remember how badly he was treated by his own brothers. They hated him, being driven by jealousy. They conspired to kill him, but seeing that they could do away with their brother and make a profit at the same time, they sold him to Ishmaelite traders who then took him down to Egypt, which is where our passage for today begins. Verse 1 of Genesis 39 again says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. This chapter that we are considering today, chapter 39, can be divided into three parts. One in verses 1 through 6, we learn that Joseph was blessed by the Lord while in Potiphar's house. Two in verses 7 through 18, we learn of the temptation of Joseph and of his righteous devotion to the Lord. 
And three, in verses 19 through 23, we learn that Joseph was blessed by the Lord even while in prison. The central theme of this passage is very clear, for it is repeated over and over again. The Lord was with Joseph wherever he went. That is what we learn. The Lord was with Joseph. He was with him to sustain him, to bless him, and to make him prosper in every circumstance that he found himself in. Notice uh, the repetition of the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. It is found in verse 2, where we read, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. In verse 3, we learn that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And after Joseph was unjustly thrown into prison, we read in verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then once again in Genesis 39, 23, we read that the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And so we see clearly that this is the central theme of the passage Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants his readers to know that the Lord was with Joseph in each and every circumstance of life. Notice that in each of these verses, and in others also, the word Lord is spelled with all capital letters in your English Bibles. This signals to the English reader that it is the Hebrew name Yahweh that is in use here. And we know that that name for God communicates that He is the God who is near to His people. He is the God who makes and keeps covenants. He is the God who is faithful to His people. He keeps His promises made to them. And so how appropriate it is, therefore, that this name for God be used throughout this passage. For here we see that Joseph's days are dark and they are filled with trouble. And judging by the appearance of things, one might be tempted to say that God had abandoned Joseph. Uh, That's what we would say according to our human wisdom, don't you think? There Joseph was, the favorite of his father's house, wearing that beautiful coat of many colors. But things changed for him on that day when his brothers threw him into the pit to leave him for dead and then sold him into slavery. And then even worse, Joseph was falsely accused and was cast into prison From a human perspective, it seemed as if God had abandoned Joseph. But here we see time and time again that the Lord was with him. And it is the Lord who was with him. That is Yahweh, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, the God who is near to his people. The Lord blessed Joseph even in the dark and troubled days. The Lord showed him favor and made him to prosper in every circumstance. And it is no wonder that the story of Joseph is so dear to the people of God. I think this is one of my favorite stories in in all the Bible. It is dear to the people of God uh, because those who walk with Christ in this world do experience difficulties, trials, and tribulations. They can relate to Joseph to one degree or another. We know that there will be good days and there will be bad days. There will be pleasant and unpleasant seasons. It is crucial, therefore, for the people of God to know that the Lord is with them, even in the evil day. 
It is important for the people of God to know also how to walk in days of difficulty. Should they grow discouraged? Should they withdraw from the Lord? Should they allow their hearts to grow cold to Him, thinking that the Lord has abandoned them? No, to the contrary. We are to walk as Joseph did. That is to say, we are to walk faithfully, relying upon the Lord always, knowing that He is near to us, even when the circumstances of life are most unpleasant. Undoubtedly, these were dark days for Joseph. Nothing is said to us in this passage regarding his emotional state. We're not not given any insight at all into what was going on in his head. What was he thinking? We, We don't know for sure. But this must have been a very traumatic experience for Joseph. He was a young man, remember, a very young man, when he was assaulted by his own brothers. Think of how that must have felt. They threw him into a pit and left him for dead. And so try to see these events through Joseph's eyes. Imagine looking up from the bottom of that deep pit, watching your own brothers leave you to die. They eventually returned, but only to sell him into slavery. We know that he pled with his brothers, but to no avail. He was taken away by foreigners and sold again in a foreign land. The language in that land was strange to Joseph's ears. The food was different. Undoubtedly, the customs were very odd. Uh, This must have shooken him to the core. This was a traumatic experience. And traumatic experiences like this might cause some to lose their faith, to grow hard towards the Lord, and to be overwhelmed with despair. But what do we see here in this passage? The Lord was with Joseph all along, and Joseph remained faithful. In fact, He did not just hang on uh, through these times of difficulties. He did not just hang in there, but he flourished even as his world came crashing down around him in this way. How could it be that Joseph remained so strong in the midst of such adversity? Again and again, we are given the answer. The Lord was with Joseph, we are told. The Lord was near to him, and he was near to the Lord. Everything that Joseph had was stripped away. His privileged position in his father's house was taken from him. His freedom was gone. His wealth was gone. All of his comfort was gone. His family and friends were now a long ways away. To lose all of that at once would bring most men and women to ruin. But the Lord was with Joseph to sustain him in the midst of the trial. And it appears that Joseph clung tightly to the Lord also. Brothers and sisters... uh, do know that the Lord will sometimes test His people in this way to show if their faith is true. And if it is true, the Lord uses trials like these to make their faith even stronger than it was before. Remember that the Lord did something like this with Joseph's father Jacob when he was sent away to Laban for all those years? What did we see? Well, There was a transformation that took place within Jacob. He was humbled. He was tested. He went through trials and tribulations. He was given a taste of his own medicine, remember, being deceived there by Laban, just as he had deceived his brother and his father years earlier. But it was all for good. The Lord used those trials and tribulations to refine him. And he returned into the land of Canaan, a changed man. We know that the Lord did this with Job. He too lost everything. But he refused to turn his back on his God. 
When the Apostle Peter wrote to suffering Christians, he reminded them of their eternal reward. And then he said this to them, In this you rejoice, that is, in your eternal reward you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying to the Christian, you're grieved by various trials. This is common to the Christian life in this world. But it is for a purpose. The genuineness of your faith is being tested. It is being refined through this fiery trial. And Joseph, we see, was clearly grieved by various trials. The genuineness of his faith was surely tested. But here we see that he was found to be faithful. For the Lord was with him to bless him. And so what are we to do in times of difficulty? What are we to do when life comes crashing down around us? Well, we are to cling to the Lord and we are to seek His blessing. We are to remember that the Lord does not leave His people, but He does use trials and tribulations to test, to refine, and to strengthen them. And it is for this reason that we can do what James commands us to do, that is to count it all joy, when we meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The text here in Genesis 39 says that Joseph was a successful man. He started out as an ordinary slave to Potiphar, but before long he was moved from working with the slaves in the field to working inside in a privileged position. And yet again, Joseph was promoted until all that Potiphar had, both inside and outside, was left in Joseph's charge. So trusted was Joseph that the only thing Potiphar concerned himself with was eating his food. Potiphar came home, he ate his meals, and he went his way to take care of the work that he had to do outside of his estate. Joseph was trusted completely in the house. We might ask the question, why did Potiphar promote Joseph so quickly to the position of overseer of all things? Uh, Certainly, Joseph was a hard worker. He must have been very responsible. Clearly, he had the ability to oversee and lead people. This will become apparent later in his life. But none of that is mentioned, notice. Instead, we are told that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. That is the reason that is given for Joseph's promotion. Nothing is said of his natural abilities. But Potiphar, a pagan who certainly worshipped foreign and false gods, who did not have the God of Israel, Yahweh as his God, was able to look at Joseph and to see that the Lord was with this young man. The Lord blessed this young man in everything that he did. And for this reason, he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from then onward, the blessing of the Lord was then upon all that Potiphar had in house and in field, we are told. And I think here we have a little example of a fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. Do you remember that promise made to Abraham? You're going to have many descendants, Abraham. I'm going to bless your descendants. 
and in your descendants, and through them all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. I say that this is a little example, for this promise really finds its fulfillment in the Christ who would be born from Israel, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what that promise really had to do with. In the Christ that would come from Israel, all the nations of the earth would be blessed ultimately and eternally as they find their salvation in Him. But here we get a little taste of nations of the earth being blessed through Abraham's offspring. When the estate of Potiphar the Egyptian was blessed of the Lord on account of Joseph's presence with him. These were, again, pagans, non-believers. They did not have faith in God. And yet here, on account of Joseph being with them, Joseph the faithful one, we see that the estate of Potiphar was blessed as well. And brothers and sisters, we should expect the same to be true of the people of God in this new covenant era. We should expect the Christian to be blessed of the Lord and to also be a blessing to the nations. This is what Jesus was referring to when He spoke to His disciples in that passage that we read earlier, saying, You are the salt of the earth, and again, you are the light of the world. God's people are to live in the world in such a way that the world is affected by them. If we are in Christ, then we are blessed, but we must never forget that we are blessed to be a blessing. As we live for God in this world, as we love Christ and keep His commandments, we should expect that those around us will be blessed also. And I'm here not only thinking of the blessing of salvation coming to others. Certainly that is our prayer, that others would come to faith through our witness. That is our supreme goal, our ultimate aim. But here I am saying that the Christian should have an effect upon those around them in other ways too. Sadly, perhaps you have noticed this, the opposite is sometimes true. Sadly, it is sometimes the Christian who is affected by the culture around them, and not the culture that is affected by the Christian. But here, am I, here I am saying that if the Christian is strong and mature, the way that Joseph was in Potiphar's house, if the Christian is faithful and true, then they will walk with Christ in such a way that they have an effect on those around them instead of being affected. Again, such was the case with Joseph. He was blessed of the Lord, and he was also a blessing. I need to pause here and to ask you very directly, are you affecting those around you? Or are they affecting you? Are you having an effect and a blessing upon your neighbors, upon your co-workers? Do they change the way that they speak and act when you're around? Or do you change the way that you speak and act when they are around? It's an important question for all of us to ask, even as adults, but I think especially for our young people, we need to press this question to them. Are you in a, having an effect upon others? Are you a blessing to those around you? Are you changing them by your presence, or, or are they changing you? Here we see that Joseph, and this really is astonishing, having gone through such trauma was still able to walk faithfully with the Lord and to stand for truth and to worship his God in the midst of Potiphar's house so that even Potiphar looked in upon him and said, This one is blessed. The Lord, his God, is blessing him in all that he does. This takes strength and maturity, and Joseph had it. It is in verses 7 through 18 that Joseph's faithfulness to the Lord is put on full display 
For here we see that he resisted strong temptation because he loved the Lord. Joseph was tempted strongly, and yet he obeyed the Lord above all else because he loved the Lord. At the end of verse 6, we are told that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And in verse 7, we learn that Potiphar's wife took notice of him. It is possible that she was a bit of a neglected wife. Maybe Potiphar was a workaholic, you know. Maybe he was away from home a lot. And so there she was left at home alone. We don't know for sure. But she took notice of Joseph's handsome form and appearance. She was an unfaithful wife, this we know. She was a temptress. She was also very forward and aggressive. When Potiphar was away, she spoke to Joseph, saying, Lie with me. She probably said much more than this, but here we have it in summary form. And notice Joseph's reply in verse 8. He refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me. But what does he say? Except you, for you are his wife. Because you are his wife, he said. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In brief, uh, Joseph refused to lie with Potiphar's wife out of love for his neighbor and out of love for his God. We see here that Joseph loved God. He loved God's law. He loved his neighbor as himself, and he loved God supremely. This is indeed the summary of God's law. We are to love the Lord with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we see that Joseph resisted the temptation because he would not sin against Potiphar, nor would he sin against God. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God, he said. And brothers and sisters, I think it is important for us to see that Joseph's love for God was manifest in his obedience to Him. How do we know that Joseph loved God? Because he obeyed God. He loved God and he obeyed Him, which demonstrated that his love was true. Those who love God keep His commandments. This is what Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen. It's rather direct, isn't it? If you love Me, you will keep My commandments, He told His disciples. If you love me, this is what is going to happen. You will keep my commandments. Your love for me, if it is true, is going to produce this. You are going to keep my commandments. 1 John 2, 3-6 makes a similar assertion. Uh, John the Apostle says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. How do we know that we have come to know God truly? How do we have that assurance that our our faith is true and our relationship with God is true. We know it if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, and I continue, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. These texts are not teaching that if we sin at all, then we do not love God at all. That is not the point that is being made here. 
Instead, they make it plain that love for God and obedience to God go hand in hand. In other words, to say that you love God and to live in disobedience to Him is a terrible contradiction. To love God is to obey Him. The greater our love for Him, the greater our obedience will be. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, do you love God? Do you love Him? Many are eager to say, yes, I love Him. But what does the Scripture say? Then keep His law. Obey His commandments. Obey Him in thought, word, and deed. Love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Walk as Christ walked. Really, this principle should not surprise us at all. Other relationships function in the same way. Over time, a wife will doubt the sincerity of her husband's love if he treats her poorly. You understand that, don't you? He might say, I love you every day. He might even say it many times a day. He might buy her gifts. But if he treats her badly day to day, his actions will contradict all of his professions of love. Even if he writes her poetry, you see, his actions, his poor treatment of her on a day-to-day basis will contradict everything that he says. The same is true of the relationship between child and parent. If a child truly loves mom and dad, then the love will show itself in obedience and respect, generally speaking. The point is this, it is very easy to claim to love God, isn't it? It is even possible to act like you love Him in public worship. But if your love for God is true, it will manifest itself in obedience to His law. If we love God, we will love what He loves. If we love Christ, we will walk as He walked. Not with perfection, for none of us do. But the more our love for God grows, certainly the more our obedience to Him will increase. We see here that Joseph resisted Potiphar's wife saying, ultimately, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I want you to notice this, and this is a bit of a side note, but Joseph knew that adultery was a great wickedness and sin against God prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments, the seventh of those being, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I think there are some who assume that these things mentioned in the Ten Commandments, let's say, or other things mentioned in the Law of Moses only became sinful after it was said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, or Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. But that is not our view. Our view is that what we find in the Ten Commandments is God's moral law summarized. The same law that was written on Adam's heart in the beginning, so that Adam knew that adultery was sin. So did his sons and his daughters. Noah knew that adultery was sin. Abraham knew it as well. And here we see that Joseph was aware of it. There he is in a very dark time, and certainly the temptation must have been great. Perhaps he could have found some comfort with Potiphar's wife. But he said to her, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In verse 10, we learn that Potiphar's wife spoke to Joseph day after day. She did not just say it once or twice, but every time perhaps Potiphar was gone, she pursued Joseph. She was very aggressive. 
But he would not listen to her to lie beside her. He would not even compromise a little bit to lie down beside her, nor to be with her. And over time we see that she grew more aggressive. And in verse 11 we read this, But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, by his cloak, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Brothers and sisters, we see here clearly that sexual sin is not an exclusively male sin. In Genesis 38, it was Judah who was the aggressor. Do you remember that? But here in Genesis 39, it is Potiphar's wife. Notice also that Joseph was once again stripped of his cloak. Remember that that his brothers tore his coat of many colors off of him when they assaulted him, and now Potiphar's wife tore his cloak from him. Perhaps this too was a coat of honor, signifying his privileged position within Potiphar's house. Again, it was taken from him. I think the symbolism helps us to understand that bad things are coming. It's a bit of an ominous sign here. Here is where things do turn for the worse for Joseph. Potiphar's wife, feeling scorned, rejected, and being driven by envy, decided in this moment to do Joseph harm by falsely accusing him. In other words, she had enough. Joseph had said no to her so many times, and he had even resisted her ultimate aggression. When she grabbed a hold of him, he ran away from her. And so, feeling scorned and rejected, she decided to do him harm by falsely accusing him. She had his cloak, and so she used it to claim that he had taken it off to assault her. And so she bore false witness and began to slander Joseph's name, first of all, with the other servants in the house, and then lastly with Potiphar as he returned home. I do want to point this out, friends, that while it is true that men sometimes do horrible things to women, and sometimes women to men, and while it is true that the testimonies of those who claim to be victims of assault should be taken very seriously. It is also true that people sometimes tell lies. To bear false witness and to slander someone's name is a terrible sin. It is possible to destroy a person's life with lies. It is possible to to murder them with words. Never should we bear false witness and never should we forget that sometimes people do. Many of you know that my wife works at a public charter school and one thing that she does with some regularity is to look into allegations that students make against other students. I think a very common one uh, in this day and age is so-and-so is bullying me, you know. Uh, That is a common allegation. And she looks into these things. Uh, A few years ago, the school installed cameras so that most of the campus is covered. Uh, Someone is always watching there on the campus, right? And so, Lindsay spends a good amount of time reviewing uh, video footage uh, to sort out uh, the conflicting testimonies. It is not at all uncommon for me to walk into her office and there she is with a colleague watching video footage, you know, uh, to see uh, what exactly happened between these students or sometimes between a student and a staff person. And it is disturbing how often 
the accusers are found to be lying. I don't know what the percentage is, but very often those who bring the accusation are found to be lying. And it's even more disturbing to know that oftentimes it is the accusers who are in fact the ones who are guilty of the aggression. It often plays out that way. Not only did so-and-so not do this thing that you say they did, but you were the one who was doing the inappropriate thing. It needs to be kept in mind when considering allegations. This is especially important to keep in mind in our day and age where I think many are prone to believe the accuser without ever looking into the matter for themselves or giving due process an opportunity to play out. Potiphar's wife lied because she felt scorned. And when Potiphar was told, his anger was kindled. But there is evidence that Potiphar wasn't entirely sure of his wife. For look at what he did with uh, Joseph. He took Joseph and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Uh, Typically, the punishment for such a crime would have been death especially for a a slave in the master's house. For a slave to assault the master's wife would surely be punishable by death. But Joseph was put into the prison where the king's prisoners were confined. No doubt this was a very unpleasant place to be, but he did not receive the death penalty as we would expect. In verses 21 through 23, we have a repeat of verses 1 through 6, basically. Uh, Just as Joseph was made to prosper in Potiphar's house, so the Lord made him prosper in the prison. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph, we read again, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the point of the passage. The Lord wants for us to know that no matter what our circumstances in life are, no matter how dark and gloomy life gets, the Lord is with us if we belong to him. If we have faith in Christ, the Lord is with us. He is able to sustain us. And even more than just enabling us to hang in there until the difficult day passes, He is able to make us thrive in the midst of great difficulty. For if we have Him, we have all that we need. This is critical for God's people to know that God is able to make them prosper even in the most trying of circumstances. In every circumstance of life, We are to cling to Christ. We are to walk faithfully before Him. This is what we are to do, knowing that He is always with us. So I ask you, are you experiencing good days, friends? Perhaps you are. Perhaps the sky is blue. Perhaps the sun is shining brightly. Your circumstances right now, you might say, are very pleasant. What should you do? You're to walk faithfully before God. You're to love Him above all else. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Or are you experiencing days of great difficulty? Are things gloomy for you? Have the storm clouds rolled in, your circumstances being most unpleasant? What is the admonition for you? It's the same. Walk faithfully before God. 
Love Him above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. Cling to God. Cling to Christ. For if God is with you, if you have been reconciled to God through faith in Christ, then you have all that you need in this world. Today we have taken an up-close view of Joseph in this sermon. But as we move now to a conclusion, I want to step back just a little bit to gain some perspective. We must remember that there is a larger story that is unfolding. We know that Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, he was sold into slavery, and he was plunged down into the prison, so that from there the Lord might raise him up to a position of power, and through him save a great multitude of people, both Egyptians and Hebrews. There is a larger story that is unfolding here that we must keep always in mind. And if we step back from this story even further, we will certainly recognize that the story of Joseph mirrors another story. That is to say, the story of Jesus, the Christ. Just as Joseph was brought low so that he might be raised up in due time, so also the Christ, but in a much greater way. Paul puts it this way. He reminds us that Jesus was in the form of God. Joseph was the favorite in his father's house, but Jesus, we are told, was in the form of God. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, we're told that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So we see that Joseph's descent into that prison cell mirrors Christ's descent. But Christ's was greater. From heaven to earth he came. From earth he even went to the cross and into the grave. Therefore we are told concerning Christ that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that from that prison cell Joseph will be released and he will be given the second position in all of Egypt. Men, Egyptians and Hebrews alike will come and will bow before him. And this mirrors Christ's exaltation as well. From the grave Christ was raised, and having been raised, He also ascended, not to the throne in Egypt, but to His heavenly throne at His Father's right hand. He is Lord of all things, Lord of all the earth. Jesus was emptied and humbled. He suffered and died so that through Him many might be saved, not only from amongst the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And this salvation that Christ has provided is not from starvation, uh, that is the salvation that Joseph provided. But in fact, Christ has provided us salvation from the judgment of God in hell forever. So while it is true that we learn that God is present with His people to bless them in difficult circumstances, and while it is true that we learn how to walk when facing trials of many kinds, we are to be faithful as Joseph was, and while it is true that we learn that God has purposes for our suffering, for this reason we can count them all joy, it also must be recognized that something bigger was happening in the life of Joseph. 
A bigger story was beginning to unfold. God would provide salvation for Israel in Egypt through Joseph. And more than that, in the fullness of time, God would provide salvation through His one and only Son, Christ Jesus the Lord, for all who believe upon His name. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank You that You are with us always. You have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would have a sense of Your nearness to them. And even if they do not sense it, even if they do not feel it, may they know it, for Your Word says that it is so. You are with us. You are with Your people to sustain them through the good times and the bad, through times even of great darkness marked by trials and tribulations. Father, help us to know for sure that You are with us. Help us to therefore walk boldly in this world, being faithful always to You, even if the circumstances of life are most unpleasant. Lord, we confess to You that if we have You, we have all that we need. For we were made by You, and we were made to know You and to worship You. Lord, You are the most pleasant thing of all. You, if you are present with us, are able to make that which is unpleasant pleasant for us, for you are our greatest love. Father, help us to know these things and to believe these things truly. I pray also, Father, that we would cling to Christ, that we would see that He is our Savior, the one who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the domain of light. Help us to see that in Him we have the forgiveness of sins and the hope of life everlasting. If we do not believe it now, Lord, work upon us so that we do. And if we do, we pray that you would preserve us to the end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.